Jill, ask them what they think about Supervillain. That sounds better to me. More exciting. Do you prefer saving America? How about saving the world? Nope. It's saving America. This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And today we are here to talk about the season two premiere of Amazon Prime's The Boys. I've really missed this show because I have watched just about every comic book translation into TV with the exception of maybe, I don't know, Hulu's Runaways. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've seen pretty much everything else. And this one really stands alone. It's it's using a lesser known property for one. But for another thing is it just doesn't shy away from from the kind of explicit language and gore that you might find in a more straight up type action movie that isn't normally shown <laughs> in in like the MCU or the DC universe or or things like that. This yeah. is probably even a step further than Deadpool in in terms of what they're going to put on screen. And and I and I missed the show because of that. What about you, Kat? Yeah, I agree. The closest one that I was going to talk about in, in, in kind of like non-MCU and like DC um, universe type comic book stories that are coming now are like the Umbrella Academy that's on Netflix. But yeah. even that one is more campy. And while they do some really cool stuff, it's not necessarily, I would say, as gory and yeah, as explicit um, non-PC as like the, the boys is. I The same as you, like I like watching these shows because I think as much as I love those two universes in terms of like comic books, even though I'm rooting for the characters and I know everything will work out except for the one where someone actually died and sometimes they've died, like sometimes it, it felt uh or it feels like there's just no stakes and uh-huh. it, it kind of loses its shine at least for me personally just like watching these over and over even though like i love them but the like the boys series and some of these other series that are coming up in like this not i wouldn't say anti-hero but maybe kind of superhero genre you feel like you don't know what's going to happen and i like that aspect i like not knowing that it's going to work out so perfectly and also not knowing anything about the the source material that you like you just mentioned, it's based right. on like a lesser known property. And I like not yeah. going, I like not knowing anything about it. I just kind of watch, want to watch the show and kind of go on the, you know, the journey. And that's why like the the first season really surprised me because I was like, oh, whoa, this is not your mom. <laughs> like, that's not your kid's superhero show, which I really enjoy, which I don't know if that says a lot about us, but like we, like we want the really like non PC, just out there gore superhero. It might say more about us than we would normally admit to uh, <laughs> polite society, but we're in the potosphere, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in my film and in TV stuff, I want variety. I admit, not in the life, you know, so it's different. But um, right, right. I, I don't want a speedster to splash through a loved one and leave their bones flying through the air in their yes. wake. I, I don't want that for real. But I'm fine with that on TV. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, so I, I was right there with you. I, I wanted this to come back and I was excited. And I'm also excited that they already announced a season three. So as a viewer, that's nice to know that we're going to watch this season two 
and there's going to be more. And I feel like that's nice because we don't get that often now with all these um, streaming. Most of the time they're being canceled after season one. It's nice that we're going to get invested, you know, have a little bit more of a payout too. Yeah, that's a good point. If you are listening to this at some asynchronous period in, of time, it, it's worth noting that this is still in the height of the COVID scare and things are getting canceled that had already been approved. Yeah, um, that's crazy. And, and renewed. It's, it's cool that they have the renewal and I sure hope it sticks because uh, like we just mentioned, there's nothing else <laughs> going like this, scratching this particular itch. I mean, there are things that have been, say, in this genre, but like you mentioned, say, the Umbrella Academy or another one that I'm thinking of is Deadly Class. Mm-hmm. But say Deadly Class, that's on basic cable. That can that can only go so far. <laughs> yeah. And that one always kind of disturbed me because it was about teaching high school kids how <laughs> How to kill people. Yeah. And, uh, as a parent of high school age kids, I guess I get kind of weird about it. This is totally different. I'm glad to see that the, I didn't know about that season three renewal. I know that season two renewal happened at about this same point, like before the show came out. Yeah. So, so it, it speaks volumes about uh, Amazon because uh, I mean, they have a lot of shows, but not like a Netflix, a lot of shows. They seem to pick and choose what they want. I think they realize that they can't compete on the same level as Netflix. So they're really trying to it seems like they're trying to back certain ones that they know people have gravitated towards. And maybe the boys did really well on the, the back end viewing, which obviously maybe it did because they were um, happy to renew season three ahead of season two. I hope it sticks because they also announced that Jensen and Ackles was going to join season three, which if you're, I guess, a Supernatural fan and The Boys is uh, was created by Eric Kripke, who created Supernatural, I think. So it's like all in the same family kind of thing. Ah, nice. Yeah. That's really cool. Well, let's kick off our talk about season two's premiere. Let's, let's start with a, a character roundup, just mm-hmm. a review of the character's their names, because <laughs> that's always a challenge, <laughs> yeah. and, and their status as season two begins. First, we got Billy Butcher. What do you recall about Billy Butcher? Carl Urban. <laughs> exactly. Um, I love in his, the, the fact that he's able to use his New Zealand accent, and he kind of doesn't give a shit, and he says what he feels. A liberal use of the C word. Yes, which I like. I lived in Australia, and they they kind of use that. They use that word as a term of endearment, like we use the f word. Um, and so for me, like I've actually said it. I was there for like a year and a half. It can be used obviously as a derogatory or whatever, just like f can. Honestly, it's one of the most fun words. I I know people might be like, oh my god, um, I can't believe you're saying that. But honestly, it is. And I wish the U.S. and like America wouldn't think it is bad as it like seems because if you hear it in its own environment. It's pretty. It's a pretty awesome word, and it's a cool <laughs> derivative of the F word. And so, I personally love hearing him say that because it just like reminds me of being Australian, like that sort of like lingo, and that it's not a bad bad word. It's just like any other word that you can use in multiple uses. It's versatile. Well, now I have a whole new outlook on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in this episode, he is the last time we saw him. He had been delivered to Becca's house mm-hmm. by Homelander, and it was revealed that the kid that he, that A, that Becca was alive at all, <laughs> yeah. and that her son was actually Homelander's kid. That's how the all season one ended, and that's the last time we saw Billy. He is missing in action, 
as this episode kicks off. Yeah, I really wanted to see him sooner than we do, but it was fine. I think it was okay. I like I really like the way it ended. So <laughs> in yeah. terms of seeing his character come back again, and I guess it's a little bit of mystery because it did end. So I really like that cliffhanger of uh, season one. Oh, for sure. Because we've been told that his whole motivation for starting his gang of anti-soups was that his wife had died. And so it's pretty like earth moving <laughs> for her to be found that she's still alive and she has this kid and it's and it's worse than you ever imagined. Yeah. Yeah. What's worse? Her being she's alive, but then she has like this horrible soups kid. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. All right, now we got the other guy, Huey. Oh, Huey. <laughs> oh, Huey. You know, one thing that I hadn't remembered about Huey that I, I picked up in my brief season one semi-renewal was that he was kind of a clean freak. They show him a lot cleaning, sprucing himself up, dusting, you know, fixing up appearances, that sort of thing. And then also getting completely filthy with blood and gore and stuff like that. Yeah. That continues on like like his opening scene in season 2 here is needing to try to make himself presentable, but he lives in a janitor's closet in a shithole, like an actual <laughs> like shithole where 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 drugs are prepared and then yeah. sent out to the world. And and uh, I thought that was a that is an interesting uh place for a guy with that particular need to have to live yeah Huey's I don't know his arc has been interesting because he hasn't it seems like he's always just getting shit on <laughs> and it doesn't get better and I wonder how season two is going to treat him but from the way it ended um in this episode as well he does end up getting blood again and I feel like that's probably going to be the trajectory of the season <laughs> and I kind of like that that's the the norm for him is like he's just going to be getting <laughs> Not even shit on what blood on. <laughs> That's like the character kind of thing that he gets. Um, and this series is um, based in you know reality in in to some degree, right? And so he's kind of us. Like he represents the normal yeah. person. And sometimes things happen to him where, as a viewer, since I've seen so many of these like kind of things, I'm like, oh, it's not that bad, Huey. Like suck it up. And then I'm like, oh wait, but if that actually happened to me in real life, his reactions make sense. And so sometimes I, I myself as a viewer sometimes don't empathize with Huey and like, wait, like, why am I so like, I'm, I've, it's like, I've been, um, what is it? Uh, like I've just been exposed to too much. Um, oh yeah. You desensitized. Yeah. Desensitized. Um, and so I, this has actually made me like watching this first episode. I was like, oh, I need to like really get out of that headspace as a viewer and just like everything that he's doing, it's not annoying. It's actually just human. Um, and it makes sense. It's almost like um, the writers knew that viewers like us would forget that. Mm -hmm. And they give him a little speech later on about that. He's Harry Potter. He's yes. Katniss. He's, uh, <laughs> John, John Connor. Connor. <laughs> yeah. Um, he is the everyman that rises to greatness uh, when push comes to shove. We haven't actually seen that yeah. of him yet. <laughs> yeah, which is, I think it's hilarious too, because he, unlike some other some of those who do rise to greatness, I was actually thinking like, but you're always just like needing to get saved or you're not like doing it. So I think that's, I like that writing of the story of like, no, you probably wouldn't. Like we all think we would, right? But yeah. we probably, most of us would probably get killed or die like in this, in these scenarios. So I think him just being alive in this case is like enough. <laughs> 
it, it kind of is given what he's had to go through the the powers that that have swirled around him I mean, he did pick up the machine gun and start trying to save his friends at the end of season one during that A-Train incident mm-hmm. when Annie eventually showed up and saved Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he tried, but he still needed saving. Yeah. Oh, poor Huey. I hope he gets, I hope he does have his Harry Potter moment or Katniss moment, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of interesting what, what that would be because... His, this whole thing started with A Train killing Robin. We can talk about A Train here for just a second. He's he, he's still comatose. Yeah, that's about it for for him. So, what would a fulfilling arc for Huey look like? Because normally in these kinds of stories, it's uh, that the that the everyman has to go and and confront the person that set them on this trajectory but what good would that do at this point it's not even i mean yes a train did that and he's kind of a dick and he's not awesome and all that kind of stuff but that wouldn't be a fulfilling end at this point yeah no i think he has to have something greater because i mean he's already killed one soup right he killed translucent and so and that didn't really bring him i think what he wanted and i feel like just killing another soup probably wouldn't be whatever he needs just given like I feel like he's just very broken down at this point and so I don't really know what could I guess bring him back to reality you know (laughs) because he even says like this is all I have and you know when he's talking to um mother's milk yeah I think that's kind of like he even says like yeah it's depressing like I don't have a job I don't have a family like this is like my mission is to basically I guess expose them but then even at that point like what happens then I hope he has some sort of training montage throughout this thing where he, he ends up like you know hopefully he, he can save himself or get become more like a badass because i don't see him going back to regular life even if he fulfills whatever he thinks he's going to fulfill that's going to make him better you're right i didn't even think about that but that he part of the plot of this episode is that he wants to expose vaught and the whole the whole fake baking of uh superheroes but what happens on on the the next morning after that happens yeah. i don't i don't think he's given much thought to and that is potentially what this season could be about is sorting that out whether he wants to go through with that whether he's willing to live with whatever that is cuz there's a good chance Annie gets hurt in that um uh, whatever that that fallout is yeah cuz we learned that they've been meeting up um i guess if you want to talk about Annie <laughs> yeah definitely and starlight <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the whole funeral thing? Cause she definitely has learned from season one that she has to play her role, right. In order to kind of keep up appearances. She doesn't like obviously the aspects that she's been through with the, being part of the seven, yeah. but if she wants to take them down, which we learn that she's trying to work with Huey and trying to figure out a way to take them down. But then she's also doing like, I love just seeing them do like the promos and pretending to be superheroes and they're just like not like good people (laughs) when she when they figure out a plan where you know they're going to meet up uh, she's going to use one of her bible camp buddies to kind of get a vial of v so they can expose expose vat we see her also be kind of homelandery you know in that way where he she uses this person when that like gecko that's his name he was like aren't we friends and she's like no i mean no like it's kind of like heartless but also in that sense of like 
the hero in a hero heartless way where like I got to do this no matter what and no one's going to stand in my way and if I have to use people I'm going to use them and so she's also I guess after everything she went through in season one doesn't have that kind of night like she's not naive anymore in that sense so she's like I got to do what I got to do because I guess that's her way of making herself feel better especially what happened with her in the deep and everything right so I think it's seeing her be hard as well like hardened by everything and like like not caring that she's putting this person like gecko in danger and just wanting what she wants also to for the greater good in a sense but also you can't be good while you're trying to do good which is interesting motivationally it's like she was brought up her entire life she was raised to to be in the seven by her by her mom you know sort sort of the super world version of a pageant mom (laughs) 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 from there in terms of her disillusionment with what she was raised to become and it's just crushing it even shakes her faith which she mentions in her chat with the gecko guy that she just she there's nothing for her to believe in anymore and that gives her license i think to not be the hero that she wants to be at least in her mind it does it's it's almost like it in her mind justifies she doesn't even try to approach him with you know this is the right thing to do taking down vaude it's it's like do this or i'll publicly shame you that's like her first move (laughs) yeah she went straight for it and i think that's the difference between this show right is like they just go for the jugular and i kind of like that because we always get in other shows like a two episode arc of the of this type of thing trying to probably get a vial of v right and this one is like no we're just gonna do this and i'm just gonna basically blackmail and get what i need and i like that (laughs) straightforwardness it's almost like she has to whenever you see starlight with the wig and the leotard that's a that's a completely different almost character than annie who dresses simply and has much simpler hair and makeup and all that kind of stuff she's almost like a spy or a plant or a double agent if you will Mm -hmm. um, within the within the seven at the funeral service that song that she sang (laughs) this is going to sound kind of offensive (laughs) but but first of all i need to ask are you in any way shape or form a fan of christian rock i feel indifferent towards it i i'm not a fan I mean, I'm not really religious, so I guess that's that's a that's an answer. Okay, then I think I think you might come around to my way of thinking. That song sounded like Christian rock. To it me. did. The crowd's reaction seemed like <laughs> what you might expect at a Christian rock concert to that sort of thing. If you see what I mean, like just sort of like don't think about it too hard and <laughs> just kind of go with it. Like it sounds and- nice, but what they're actually saying or how it came about like the song's called never truly vanish and then just like what her words like if you listen to the word like on the second time i watched the episode it was like oh like it's like a little it's not the best you know and um (laughs) and uh you're right like i think sometimes it gets wrapped up in a nice little bow and then so you want to believe it because it sounds real nice but when you look a little deeper you're like uh no (laughs) yeah I mean, on the first viewing, it was definitely like, okay, this is cheesy. Then I'm like, okay, I know what, then second viewing was like, I know what fed the cheese. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This time. And it's, I'm confident it's, it's a songwriter who's making fun of Christian. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that, right? Like going on and and overall in the series, the boys, they're really, it felt a little bit like what the righteous gemstones on HBO 
does for that kind of, you know, evangelical sort of in that in that vein of pointing these things out and not necessarily making a statement but by not saying it explicitly and doing these sort of things like with the song it's making its statement <laughs> right okay so the punchline with annie is that she and huey when they start this episode she's living this double life and she wants to bring down vought because of what they have done to her i think and and just the people in general just pulling the wool over their eyes that superheroes are not actually super i mean they're powered for sure but they're all assholes as it turns out <laughs> and and we deserve better than them and the and vaught is nurturing that the artifice uh that i think is what's what's driving her but it's making her into this person that's willing to as you mentioned blackmail and and just move straight to it rather than try to work with this gecko guy that might have actually come around but he tried to play dumb with with uh, what's compound v you know, yeah that sort of thing still uh, he he wanted to be friends with her so who knows he might have come around it's we'll never know yeah, yeah, but it just showed a care like her care where her character is at the moment because you're right. I think he would have done it for her if she had approached him differently. But she was, I think she's just done with the nice approach because she grew up that way, and then her world was shattered in season one with everything that happened. And I think she's just not playing games, <laughs> no matter whether the person is actually nice or not. Yeah. So let's move to Homelander. Oh. Homelander <laughs> uh, ended like we mentioned season one. He, he killed Stillwell. He burned her, her, her brains out. Yeah. <laughs> and then he took Billy to Becca's house to rub it in his face that she was alive. And not only was she alive, but she was raising his son. In season two, it seems like he is collecting, he's doing his best to, you know, physically no one can beat him. But that doesn't mean that he has all of the kind of relationship clout that he thinks that he does. So he's trying to amass that as best as he can. But he's he's so emotionally, you know, screwed up that that I don't know that he knows what it takes to actually win people over without using his physical presence as, you know, the final adjudicator on, on yeah. every, every argument. It's just a different aspect to the superheroes that we know because usually in the other um, other worlds or whatever, they always have love and they always have the admiration of the people when they don't need it. Not all the time. There's obviously instances in those themes, but like they 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 honestly would rather not be in the spotlight, right? And in like a very general sense. And with Homelander, he doesn't really like people in some ways, right? He also needs people to love him. And like he wants certain, I think he just doesn't know how to get it. Obviously his, like he was created in a lab. He didn't have mom and dad. Like he never learned that part. And so that's why he's kind of very sadistic and like a psychopath or a sociopath in some ways. But yet he craves this attention and that's what the being a soup gives him. It's not giving him what it, what he needs. Like, I, I don't know. He never gets the fulfillment from it because I don't think he feels the love from the people or from people around him that like really admire him in that way. Like his team hates him because he's obviously done horrible things with them. So he doesn't get the love from them. Not it's like a cat. Yeah, it's just fear. And I think he just really doesn't know. And I'm, I'm curious to know like what he's going to do with the sun aspect because I think we see him just go and, and visit at the very end of this episode. And I'm curious to see how that's going to play out and how the sun is going to be 
if he's going to be responsive to that or if it's just going to go down really bad. Like, I, I, I have no idea, like, why he thinks that's the avenue, but I can understand in his weird, crazy mind. <laughs> Maybe he thinks just like the other folks on here, like Huey and Annie, like, that's something that, you know, he thinks he needs to maybe fulfill something in him that he's missing. But is it going to be the right avenue, though? And is it, if and if it doesn't work out, we've learned he's going to probably lash out, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, emotionally, he just doesn't have a, a filter. I mean, he has he has learned behaviors, I guess, that allow him to interface with people within kind of certain constraints. Like a show. Like you, yeah, like you mentioned, if they're showing him adulation, if they're or fear or whatever, but as long as they're not challenging him, then he can function. But, <laughs> but when, uh, when things start to get, get real, that's when he starts to kind of flip out. You know, the exchange that he has with Mr. Edgar later is actually kind of interesting because, you know, his instincts are probably thinking, I need to laser this guy's brain out, but he's at work so he can't <laughs> actually do that right mm -hmm. there in that that setting and, and that's probably the only thing restraining him if he shits where he eats <laughs> and i think that's like the reality part of the show right is like you can't go around just killing everyone because then like that's just not the way it's going to work like he actually needs the business of vaught to promote him and to make him this uh, larger than life character and superhero um, in the public and the global kind of sphere, right? That he needs them to put him on these missions and he can't go rogue in that sense. So he does have to follow some rules to an extent, but within his little world where he can just go um, and be and, and like let out his viciousness, he does. Yeah. But then there's also like, I really love Anthony Starr, like Anthony Starr who plays him because yeah. his subtleness of those feelings, he does it so well that I can't imagine seeing anyone else in that because like he has to emote so in a way where it's just like his eyes like will go crazy you know like i like 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 they start shaking like a kind of like when someone's just ang like angry or like the hints of his facial uh movements to indicate like oh he's he's really gonna he's really like uh, boiling inside or whatever and i i just love um star's performance with him because i think it would like homelander could have been a character that could have gone wrong i think if someone else was playing him or didn't know how to play him because you have to play the hero which he can like in the facade of it but then behind the scenes, like you, he's just like, like the asshole, but and sadistic, and like you don't know what he's gonna do because sometimes even as a viewer, I want to believe that, um, you know, he, he kind of fools like with Ashley. He's like, yeah, I'll go, I'll go see this, you know. And then I'm like, oh, he's like actually, you know, um, like I got fooled for a minute just because he's so good at what he does, you know. Right. And then he like turns like in a second, and you're like, oh no, he's like. Yeah, he pops the guy's eardrums. Yeah, and I was just like, oh no, like there's your, there's Homelander. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Have you have you ever seen uh, a Cinemax show called Banshee? No, I haven't. That stars Anthony Starr. In it, he plays a thief that has been put away in jail for prison for several years, and he's getting released. And he is heading to a small Pennsylvania town where his, I don't know if she was his wife, but girlfriend slash partner in crime lives to retrieve his share of the loot that he went to prison to kind of protect, right? Okay. And en route, he stumbles upon an opportunity where he is at a, he's at a diner where the town's new sheriff is coming into, 
into town. And this is a weird situation that only works on TV because, you know, sheriffs are locally elected and all that kind of shit. <laughs> but in this TV world, the mayor of the town kind of like sent away for this sheriff and he hired him sight unseen. So no one knows this sheriff and he gets involved in the in like a bar fight at this diner. Anthony Starr's character takes his place and just shows up and says, I'm the sheriff. Uh-huh. And they're like, great. And it turns out, you know, he's like a diamond thief or whatever. So the whole show is him kind of doing a version of this same character, right? Where he's actually kind of a dick, but he has to be a sheriff at the same time. Yeah. So it's playing two characters within a character. It's crazy. Yeah. It's so similar idea, but in, in Banshee, he... He actually, he kind of uses his dick power for, for, <laughs> for good in, in certain instances. And so it's actually kind of fun to watch, but it's a very pulpy show, really extreme violence, really. I mean, every episode has someone having sex. Mm. It's it's an R-rated, hard R show. Yeah. But it re- exposed me to Anthony Starr. And so I've seen him. Uh, I bring that up because a of the du- duality type character that he's played before the interesting thing is that he's australian so he plays americans in a in a very in a very certain way that's that's very convincing and to and to bring up this idea that that you know certain actors and actresses when they when they when they come on on screen because of what you've already seen them do they bring sort of a cachet of presence i guess to to the stage and so i since i've seen banshee and i've seen him do stupendous fight scenes where he just brutalizes people in creative ways. Yeah. <laughs> I already had this sort of in the back of my mind, like when this guy gets out of his chair with his eyes in a certain way, <laughs> something bad is about to happen to the other people in the room. And so he I already had that with him. And I already, so I have this sort of fear. <laughs> yeah, you had it. Yeah, I didn't yeah. have it before the boys. So for me, I was like, where is it? Why hasn't he got something before? But yeah, um, I, I definitely want to revisit some of his old stuff. Um, and then just to tell you, because I did, I had looked it up before this episode. He's actually New Zealand. He's a New Zealander as well. New Zealander. Okay. I uh, yeah. Under in some capacity. I thought it was Australia, but because he had starred in a lot of Australian TV. Oh, but. yeah. Yeah. Because that's where like the work is. And so I kind of dig that um, Carl Urban and then also Anthony Starr are basically like representing New Zealand. So I'm like, and then for anybody, like, uh, I guess American is probably the easiest accent maybe to overcome. <laughs> so I love like when. And they do it so well. I'm like, are we that easy to like, just like, <laughs> like do so well? <laughs> Cause and like, that, um, that's funny. Knowing, knowing where he's from, knowing who he's, it's played, a strong who accent, he's, who he's playing. And then in that moment when he's talking with uh, Edgar and he says, everybody knows who I am. He says something, you know, derogatory about people from the middle East. Yeah. But then he says, and he would say it in perfect American, which we understand what he means. But normally people say perfect English, but we understand that he is Homelander. So he's going to say perfect American. He's the one that's that's shooting for the slogan to be saving America. Yes, he's very American. And although we're Americans, when he says it, it doesn't sound good. (laughs) No, no, I think we're being pointed and laughed at when when he says it. Uh, It doesn't feel good. No. Yeah. Although. Flattering. Although these characters, um, like Homelander, again, I don't know what this says about me, but um, as my as my viewing taste, but I kind of love these characters because 
they're just so ruthless yet though he that he does have this like tragic i think because of how he grew up and like what they've done with him it's almost like you feel a little bit sorry for him it doesn't excuse all the bad shit he's done but i can kind of see where he's coming from and if like i had grown up that way like I don't know, like, you can't help but think, like, that's all you could have been. Like, that's all he's become because of the circumstances, right? But I just, like, love his character, even though, like, I don't like his character, which I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It, it, but it's it's interesting because he creates a, an interesting villain, a sympathetic kind of, kind of villain, but not one where I could feel a very plausible, like, redemptive arc ever coming in. Like, I don't. He no, I want him that. to keep, I want him to go full on and I want it to be like, if he ever goes out, I want it to be like guns blazing. <laughs> if he does go down, it will be an expensive scene. I am positive because yeah. they are going to need everything they ever had. Yeah. <laughs> to yeah. bring him down. He's just, they've created a character that's very strong. Yeah. He's, he's, he's power wise. He's like Captain America kind of crossed with Superman. Yeah. Right? He's like an evil Superman. Right, right, right. Um, and then, but that milk scene though, the breast milk scene where he drank it was like it was. I was I was eating at that moment. I was like, <laughs> I, I was gonna ask. I mean, obviously, that's a that that seems like a very sexual kind of thing. In season one, he was always using his X-ray vision to to watch her pump and all that. Business. I think it's like a mom thing, like a lack of a mom thing too. Like maybe just I don't know in a weird way though. Right? Like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's very odd. Oh, and it's definitely a weird way. Uh. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, that's not a question. I mean, I don't know. I want to be open to everyone's. <laughs> I, I, I used to deal with my nephews, like, you know, his mom's breast. And I was like, oh, that's like the smell of it. I was like, no. It's like, how yeah. could you do that? <laughs> yes. Well, just the way that he probed it with his tongue and all that. And the smelling. Oh, my God. But Anthony yeah. Starr, he's selling the shit out of it. So good acting. <laughs> yes. Uh, if if a listener out there can give can give us a name to this whatever condition it is that would make it so that a, a man like that would need to interface with a with a woman's breast milk like that, um, let us know. Yeah, we're, we're let us know. Sort of ignorant about it. <laughs> um, so, but it's worth worth knowing because I think it's a key component of his. Yeah, whatever that like. I don't know if it's a condition or whatever, but just something of the psyche that is making him do that. Yes. I mean, he's, he didn't, like you mentioned, he didn't have proper parents. Um, he didn't have a normal upbringing. So he's missing a lot of emotional training, you know, the, the, that you get by growing up in a family um, or any kind of normal setting, um, even if it's a foster or you know, whatever else you got out there. They're all better than what he had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, so he's missing all that. Um, and it's made him pretty screwed up. Uh, let's see. From there, we get some kind of move down the ladder in terms of screen time. Let's go with Mother's Milk as our next character. Uh, he He's more interesting than I had remembered. Some of the stuff that he did in this episode that I thought was interesting was, was that he he's making this dollhouse. If you recall from season one, his wife was like really not cool with him getting back into his criminal life right Mm -hmm. yeah and so he arranged for her and his kids to be put into witness protection of some sort and so he doesn't know where they're at and he he can't can't talk with them but he's still making this this dollhouse i guess for for his daughter and he's he's putting a lot of care into it and so i guess he's got uh 
very careful hands because <laughs> when the gangbangers come in, he need they need him to pull out bullets and, and, and stuff like that. If Huey is kind of that character that is just a little bit lost, doesn't know what he's doing, kind of, you know, um, all over the place. I think Mother's Milk, it seems to be the, not a dad figure, but like kind of one of the moral figures, it seems, right? Which is funny to say because he's, I guess, he was doing criminal stuff, right? <laughs> Yeah, but um, for the good, I guess, in some ways. Um, I hope his character is going to be um, like a stick in this season two because I really liked his interactions, and, like what he was telling Huey, and it was kind of like he was fathering him in some ways, like giving him advice about Annie and also talking about his wife and his daughter and just wanting to know what's going on with him. And he really just wants to go back to them, and so he's probably regretting what he did. I mean, maybe regretting a little bit about coming over here, but I think he is also inherently good in that sense of like kind of like a billy the butcher you don't i think he's trying to do good even though sometimes it's like does bad or it's all muddled in some ways since billy didn't show up till the very end he was one of the main ones in this episode like in the intro episode so but i think he held his own laws alonzo who plays him is also um like he has like a charisma and like he can hold his own i think in scenes and so i think he he's a really good actor as well not to the level of homelander and and um, anthony star but i think like he definitely i i don't know i liked watching him is my thing I have Mother's Milk sort of on my my list for, and I, I, again, I haven't read the comics. I haven't watched ahead, so I don't know. But he's on my on my radar for might not make it through the season. He'd be a big loss because he's a father. He's got a family. Like you mentioned with Huey having sort of being lost, Mother's Milk is not lost. He's just off the path he wants to be on. He yeah. wants to be with his family. He knows where he wants to go. Everything he's doing is he's trying to figure out how to get back there. And so in that, he's he's much different than than Huey. And that's where they keep clashing is that Huey kind of has this nebulous nobility, like we need to sort out Vaught. And, and Mother's Milk is like, I want to go see my kids. Yeah, know? like we got to do this right or else I'm not going to make it. Like he knows. <laughs> yeah, and that's what he brings to every scene. But that would make losing him particularly tragic compared to some of the other characters and that's what makes me think he might be oh yeah uh, at, at stake this this season oh i hope not but yeah you're i i think i think you may be onto something the other boy is frenchy who i guess we don't have his actual name yet we just keep calling him him frenchy He's the one that secured them a spot in the haitian king's uh drug den um, <laughs> because he speaks the same language they do and he was engaged in that life when they met him i don't have strong feelings about frenchy one way or the other yet because he is one of the boys he is all but he's not one of he's not huey or billy i think he's also kind of at stake but i don't know that i necessarily miss what he brings to the table if he goes Does that make sense yeah, yeah, I think definitely um, with this episode, it, he it was just there. It wasn't he didn't he didn't have anything much to do in that sense. But yeah, I, I mean, I think I would be sad just because he is part of the boys if he went. But I wonder if he's going to have more of a more in depth arc this season, or if he's on the chopping block. But yeah, nothing too significant in the opening episode with him. Final boy is not a boy, but Kimiko. Oh, I love um, her. <laughs> So she is the super terrorist that the boys kind of took in last season. And she is recovering, I think, from, from being hurt in that final battle. 
that Annie saved their bacon with. And uh, she is using her, her downtime. I thought this was kind of cute to, to learn how to write English because she doesn't communicate other ways. Mm-hmm. And cute is a bad word to use with an adult trying to learn a new skill. That's a bad word. But um, I, 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 I mean, I only mean that in the sense of that it's she's doing her best you know (laughs) she's doing her best and all the other all the other people are dealing with these haitian kings and pulling bullets out of people and huey's got his kind of crisis of conscience going on and she's practicing her penmanship there's a there's a there's a (laughs) there yeah it's not because she's a girl exactly it's it's that anybody doing that in that setting that's what that would be yeah cute I guess my question with that was just like a silly one, but it was just like, I guess they can't use phones, right? But I was just like, I mean, we have Google Translate, like they could, like they could actually be able to communicate with each other. But like, I guess maybe in that, like they don't have access to it if we're trying to be like in a reality based type of thing, right? Mm-hmm. But I was just like, oh, there's ways to communicate. <laughs> So my my main deal with Kimiko was the moment when she did try to communicate when she when you know they go and investigate the human trafficking event where the guy flips a boat out of the water and she finds that paper origami crane and she tries to hand it to Frenchie and she has the word boy written on a piece of paper later on Mother's Milk is talking to Suzanne Rayner the deputy director of the CIA and describes the man as possibly Taiwanese. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you'd get that from security camera, but uh, maybe. I mean, Huey has some questions about that too, because that's that's pretty in depth for what he saw. But the question mark I have is, you know, she keyed in to that person, Taiwanese. I mean, okay, that uh, I don't want to sound stupid American here, but that could be Japanese from a security cameras aspect. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is this person that flipped the boat? someone significant to her yeah um, yeah why would why would she um key in on him yeah that definitely i think i hope we explore that in the next episode because i think it just seems odd that she would be so connected after finding that crane and then trying to communicate to frenchie something about that instance it just it, it it has to be mean something more and she has to maybe have a connection to this person so i guess we'll find out right <laughs> that's my bet that is my my bet other than that i don't i don't have a lot for for kimiko because we didn't get a lot for her, for her yeah i think they were on the back end um with these with this episode just like queen mave basically a cameo appearance <laughs> yeah nothing significant either there is a whole c plot let's call it <laughs> with the deep yeah um, if i think back to season one i mean he he was instrumental in degrading starlight on on her first day in the seven from there though his own personal trajectory went straight down getting kicked off the seven trying to steal the dolphin all that stuff yeah and here we are keeping up with his story in sandusky ohio (laughs) of all places and they keep coming back to him and and in this he meets eagle the archer yeah and carol the the not therapist (laughs) yes and the fresca yes fresca so I have got to imagine that there is something bigger afoot here with Carol, um, the way that she keyed in on him. You know, I mean, it's it's kind of obvious that someone getting kicked out of the seven would want back into the seven. But to me, it didn't seem like that. It seemed more like Carol is somehow involved with wanting someone in the seven. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? And yeah. he's 
the quickest way to do that. Yeah. That, that Fresca stuff just reminded me of, uh, did you ever watch the Big Bang Theory? No, not uh, just some of it. Okay. But Fresca is a big part of like, I, I know a lot of like, I've had like, it's like for cocktail, Fresca and vodka. <laughs> I just thought about my college days when Fresca <laughs> came out. I was like, yay, Fresca. <laughs> I was thinking more of, there's a, there's a plot in that show where Sheldon is trying to um, basically train Penny without her knowing it. Mm. And, he, and he uses, I think it's M&Ms or Reese's Pieces or something as like, as like a reward. Every time he, she does something that he suggests, he offers her the candy and she, she gladly accepts it because she doesn't see it as like a setup, you know, like a reward type situation or any kind of grooming. Mm-hmm. When this Fresca thing kept coming up, I'm thinking the same sort of thing. It did seem odd to be so emphasized on it. Yeah, just associating Fresco with positivity, I guess, or them and positivity, you know, the Eagle, Carol, something good happening, all that stuff. Somehow, I think the deep is going to be someone's (laughs) puppet. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Indeed. (laughs) Yeah, I have a lot of mixed feelings about the deep because, I mean, I think Chase Crawford, actually, I think this is like the best stuff he's ever done. Um, and I think he plays the deep very well. So it's nice seeing him as an actor kind of go a little bit deeper (laughs) in his skills, just because, you know, he's not necessarily, like he's played a lot of like the, I don't know, like handsome men. (laughs) Yeah. And like, he has played like where he's been a dick and stuff, but like, I think this has been the most like, even though it's like, it's, he has done really horrible shit. I mean, he, he basically me too, um, you know, like starlight and I don't condone that at all while watching this arc and even the deep in maybe it's because it's like, you know, we've seen it in the, in the news, like just with this whole, like the sexual harassment and everything going on in the real world as a viewer, I can't help. And especially being a woman, I can't help not think about this. So maybe you can kind of see, I, I don't know if you felt this way, knowing that he made starlight basically suck his dick in the, like on her first day. Yeah. Is there anything like in I'm conflicted on whether I would even consider a redemptive arc in any way or like the fact that we we see him like being kind of down in the dumps and like, you know, he's basically drinking it away and and whatever. Like and I was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, are they I understand like he's probably had some sort of maybe also like a Homelander type thing. Maybe there's a lot of pain and whatever, but that still doesn't excuse. Right what he has done to women and starlight right and so in my mind i'm trying to really like i I don't know i know this is just a show so it's not like real life but it's just um i'm just trying to figure out like is there anything that he could do where it could be redemptive you know because like if even if he says sorry or whatever or makes it back like i don't know you know what i mean and i guess that's just like uh and that's like a bigger society thing right like do you forgive these type of uh, folks, you know, who do horrible things in that sense. So I'm really curious to That's know. A really great question. Yeah. And I'm really curious to know where the story goes with him. Because sometimes, like, if you do see where someone comes from, you can't help but be empathetic. But that also doesn't negate what he did, which was really horrible. So as a viewer, I'm very conflicted on it. Well, the topic of uh, <laughs> forgiveness of public figures is something that is a very current topic. Right? Mm-hmm. The idea of cancel culture is a, is happening right now. And where we are with it is that I think we're still mostly canceling, but not entirely all the time. Yes. Right? So it, and it, and it depends on the, the, the wrong that's happening to, to people. 
like, for instance, say Martha Stewart gets uh, accused of uh, and found guilty of like insider trading, right? Mm -hmm. So that's a rich person doing a rich person's crime. She serves her time. She comes back. She does her TV show or her magazine or whatever. And she's mostly everything's still cool with, with Martha Stewart, right? No one's really harboring much ill will against her, right? Yeah. But then say you have, say, Michael Vick gets found guilty of dogfighting. Mm-hmm. And so that touches more people in a, in a, in a deeper way. And uh, he does his time. He comes back. He gets to play in the NFL again. He even gets on TV as like a, as like a TV show type person. Yeah. Like a Announcer. Right. And, commentator. Yeah. And that is met with some resistance. Um, is it enough to get him off the air? In some cases, I think he's been, you know, given, had some opportunities taken away, but in other cases, obviously not because <laughs> that's his day job. And so I guess dogfighting is sort of somewhere in the middle of forgivability. Personally, I, I think it's abhorrent. I, yeah. I don't know that I can forgive him. I know that he's done his time, but I don't know that I'd ever want to, you know, meet him and shake his hand or anything like yeah. that. But then there's the Me Too stuff and yeah. <laughs> where we are in terms of forgiving those people, I think we're still at pretty much a hundred percent. No, no is the answer. Like yeah. I don't, I don't see Matt Lauer or Weinstein or anybody coming back. Uh, yeah, no, that's why I think as a viewer, I'm like, where is this going? Is he representative of that? I guess, I mean, it is right. Cause the show's making so many statements with certain uh, themes. And I guess the deep is representing that part of our culture that you're talking about and that me too movement. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, I guess, raw and like, I guess just knowing like if that had happened to me, there is no forgiveness. Like, I, like in Starlight's eyes, like if even if he were to, you know, try to do something, I don't know if like any of victim would be like, no, you know, but then of course they have their own, like, I'm not going to speak for anything in that sense because I don't know. There has to be a reason why they're giving a lot of time, especially in this first episode to the deep and the storyline. I guess we'll we'll have to we'll have to see because yeah, Cause, uh, yeah it's, taking it, it screen time has got to be justified. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. they don't do it like as we've mentioned in our previous uh, Pod Clubhouse uh, recaps and all the shows. Like when something happens on TV, it's for a reason. <laughs> exactly, it's it's not just an exploration of character. Yeah, no. <laughs> but it's you raise a very valid concern with the payoff for this arc as a people. We are not ready to forgive these perpetrators. And so that that they're making this embodied in this character, can we be expected to, or under what conditions could we be expected to ever see a possible redemptive arc with his character be worthwhile? Yeah. You know, does he need to basically just stand in the way of Homelander lasers shooting at Starlight in order to... <laughs> To, to, to be okay well he's at least back to zero now um mm-hmm. or or what uh, what's it gonna take or because if it doesn't if it doesn't pay off then it's like why why'd we do that yeah you know it's sort of like jamie lannister right why'd we do that <laughs> if he was just gonna go back to his sister why why we do all that yeah i think that's the thing i i'm just i'm hesitant right now because as a character okay i get it you know he he's still in the show and all that I really don't have these sort of questions like normally because, you know, I can separate TV, real life, all that. And like sometimes there's really horrible characters, like we said, like with Homelander. I love that character. Even his the things he's done, I can like, oh, okay, whatever. It's just a show. But this one, I think, is just a little different just because it is 
representing the Me Too movement and like what he's done. And I'm like, oh, I don't know if I want him to have a redemptive arc. I just felt really strongly about it and like had those questions. So it's it's interesting as a viewer to kind of have that um, when you actually go out of the TV show and are thinking about your real life while watching it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because there are other parallels that you might make with other things. Like to an extent, when you were describing Homelander and his outlook on power and relationships and his place in the universe, I can think of certain highly placed politicians that kind of have the same attitude. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them are actually kind of a big deal right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Head up to election season here. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll keep that um, open ended. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, um, but yeah, I think you're right. This show is taking things that are happening, putting them into the characters, putting them in the plots. And that may be dangerous in terms of uh, narrative payoff later in terms of, can they pull it off? Can they make it, worthwhile a couple things i want to cover before we finish up um one is the plot point where the boys go and talk to director rayner and she gets her head blown up <laughs> <laughs> the there's that might be uh, a, a significant mystery here is is that well a who blew up her head but then also she mentions a coup from the inside of vaught is she talking about, is she stumbling upon Homelander releasing comp Compound V into the wild to produce super terrorists to justify the soups joining the military? Or is she talking about something else that we haven't been totally exposed to yet? Yeah, and I think that would probably be something that Homelander thinks he knows a lot, but I think Edgar's um, and played by Giancarlo Esposito is like the I, f I hope he's a character where we're going to learn more. Like he obviously knows, especially from his talk with Homelander in this episode, there's a lot more going on than we think we know, which is fun, right? Because as a viewer, like, okay, it's not just, it's not like uh, we know everything right now and like we figured it out. I think there's a lot more. So I hope the coup um, is something else that we have no idea about. It's, it's um, the first season of the show was successful in introducing us to the characters and sort of this, this world and this kind of cynical take on the superhero genre and, and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it was a story that, that once you watch all eight episodes, you got it. You know, it was, <laughs> it, it wasn't a whole lot of, of lingering doubt about what, what it was all about and here we're getting something a little deeper it's like actually that stuff that we showed you before has a layer below that was there the whole time but you but you've only been exposed to teeny bits and now you're now you're going to learn more and go deeper mm -hmm. um which adds more interest and in, and in more i think longevity for watchability in this in this show than than you might have gotten just from season one's premise Does that makes sense yeah yeah you can't just be a top layer it definitely needs to go um even if we are exploring characters we don't necessarily like but like i said the homelander depth and um his layers do prove to be compelling television yeah the longevity you can't just be doing a satirical take on superheroes it has to be more than that for us to keep watching i think the first episode definitely put a lot of little like sparked a little like new threads that probably will be explored in the season Although I don't have any issues with the episode, like I am going to continue on obviously for the this series, but in general, I would have continued on. I find it interesting that it, although there was a lot of new things 
that they did, it also felt like there was not. And like, yeah. so it felt almost like a filler episode, but it's a season opener. And I don't know if this just speaks to a greater thing about where we are with television. And maybe they think they were thinking of the binge watch aspect of it, where like people are going to watch season one and then you go straight into season two and they didn't have to do some crazy big thing. But for us who have watched both before streaming, pre-streaming, after streaming, it did feel weird like i'm not saying it was a bad episode it just was like it just definitely didn't have that first episode return aspect to it if that makes sense it totally does i mean the the one thing that made this feel like a first episode was that there was a little time that passed there was enough time that passed that wasn't on camera where annie and huey had crafted their little plot to get some compound v and go public with it and and get that in motion already and enough so that annie could have this public starlight persona that she had rebelled against in the first season but she has appeared to accept at least for that part of the job in insofar as she will even hold homelander's hand in public in that sense that's a normal kind of first episode thing is 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 a slight time jump that's that's a very normal thing but other than that you expect some kind of circus you know on a premiere where like in the first in the show's premiere you got robin blowing up you got the me too moment with starlight and um uh, the deep you get uh queen mave stopping that runaway armored car just by standing in front of it you get homelander lasering a jet in half <laughs> these are all big big events you know that that tell you that what this show is gonna gonna be about it's gonna be have some effects it's gonna have violence it's gonna have violence like you've never seen yeah. actually and uh season two just it's more like um you know just starting the car and going to work the next day <laughs> yeah know? i mean it wasn't bad it was just no. very odd like it was odd yeah is what i'm saying um when i when i watched this it was only after i watched the first episode that i learned that they were releasing three on night one and i was like okay all right so like, maybe I, a three-hour season premiere is what it is okay i mean as as i i, I was like comforted by that knowledge because episode one just didn't have the it, it it was interesting it was it was fine but it wasn't like a big spark like the whole show premiere was in fact i'm glad it ended the way it did because it left me with a question that i want to find out right away which was is this even billy butcher <laughs> um because in the first season there was that doppelganger guy who could assume the form of anybody he wanted. He just needed to wear the clothes they were wearing and boom, he was them. You know, he shows up wearing this jogging suit that is very un-Billy Butcher-like. And it doesn't seem exactly 100% like Billy Butcher. So uh, I'm wondering, is he doppelganger? And if so, how does that even fold in? <laughs> um, so that's a minor theory that I, that I have right now. Do you have any uh, questions, theories, uh, things you want sorted out in this episodes to come? We didn't talk about it, so I'll just mention it here, which is probably just my big thing for the next episode, is the newest member of The Seven, oh, which yeah. is Stormfront. Stormfront right. And at first impression, she's out there. She's not shy. She's live streaming when she meets Homelander and Maeve and very like brash and just like doesn't give a shit. Um, and that 
is going to be fun to explore with the dynamic that um, like Homelander likes to be in control. He likes to have the fear over people. And Stormfront seems like a character who is not going to play with that. And I really want to know her backstory of how she came to be, um, because it seems like she's going to be a shakeup for the team. And it seems like if uh, Edgar chose her to be part of the team without Homelander's input, like why would he choose someone like that you know and and so i'm i'm very uh curious to know to learn more about her um and what happens because i think she was one of the maybe we were talking about, about, about the premiere things like that was definitely like introducing a new member of the seven was a premiere type thing so i like that okay. yep. so yeah that's just like uh i'm i'm, I'm uh want to see more of her and what she is i don't know if i necessarily like her given her first impression but she definitely is intriguing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, she seemed like Gen Z Instagram barf bag to me, but yes, <laughs> that's just because I'm old. Uh, yeah, that's a good point because if you recall episode one of the whole thing, they needed a new member of the seven because Lamplighter was uh, no longer on the team. I think he might have died. I'm not sure, but they needed to replace him. So here comes Starlight. So now they've got Translucent gone. And they got to replace him. And so here comes Stormfront, someone who's probably around the same generation as Star Annie, but yeah. is represented completely differently. Yeah, two two sides of the coin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I hadn't I hadn't considered that. I wonder if future seasons that'll be a continuing uh, episode one trope that they fulfill is, well, got to <laughs> replace the <laughs> last season's dead seven member. Oh, yeah, that would be fun. That would be a fun continuing thing. I would I would love that. Because if you notice at the beginning of this episode, they're like altering the statue in the lobby. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's to add Starlight or to remove Translucent. I don't I don't know exactly what they're doing, but they showed they zoomed in on on a Starlight statue part of it. So I assume they were adding her. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that would be an awesome season one. Um, like, I mean, episode one trope of of future season. So I uh, I want that to continue. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, all right. So, yeah, that's our impression of episode one. We gave a rundown of the characters and some big questions that we have about the season yet to come. Uh, concern about the first episode, but we're glad it's not the only one. We'll be releasing episodes two and three pretty much the same time as this podcast episode. So hurry up and just go to the next one after this. Just just play the next one <laughs> don't don't go do anything else don't maybe go warm up some food or something but then come back and and listen to the rest of what we have to say about amazon prime's great comic book show the boys don't forget to rate review and subscribe to this podcast on apple podcasts or anywhere that you listen to podcasts five stars is what we're looking for um, and thanks for listening. This has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And we'll see you in just five seconds with <laughs> the next one. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.